Deuteronomy is basically Moses' final speech uh, as he verbally reiterates the law that God had given to the Israelites 40 years before at Mount Sinai. They have come to the end of that 40 years of wandering because they did not go into the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. And uh, Moses knows that his days are numbered, so he shares with them some very important truths and uh, some people call Deuteronomy the second law, uh, but it's not really the second law. It's just the reiteration as he verbally gives the law to them once again. And uh, Deuteronomy is filled with all kinds of promises of God's blessing. And it's also filled full of warnings if you do not heed and obey the word of God. And what I want you to see is Moses' words in the 39th verse of the fourth chapter. Know therefore today, and lay it in your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Know this in your heart. He's God in heaven. He's God on earth. And there is no other. I want to add to Moses' words, uh, some words that come from a Gentile king that learned that truth the hard way. These words come after this king had spent seven years in insanity, living as a wild beast in the field, eating grass like cattle. His hair grew to the length that it looked like the feathers on an eagle, the scripture says. The nails on his hands and toes became like the claws of a bird. But after seven years, God restored his mind. And Nebuchadnezzar publicly declared in Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The first thing I want you to know as we go into the, pa the passage this morning is God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over everything. God reigns. He has given to us the freedom to choose so many things in our life. He's given to us the freedom to choose to obey or to disobey. We know without a shadow of a doubt that we often do not do the will of the Lord. Doesn't that sound, I don't know if that sounds better than we just choose to disobey. There are millions of people upon this planet, multiplied millions, who give no thought to the will of God ever. But the fact remains, God is sovereign over everything. And when all is said and done, God's purpose will be accomplished because God is sovereign over everything. Second thing we need to understand is this, and I know I keep repeating this over and over in these series of messages, but God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. And he lets us know how much higher his IQ is than ours. You know, some of us may be a hundred, 
120. Some of you geniuses might have 180. That doesn't even compare. God says in Isaiah 55, 9, for as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, soar my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. How high are the heavens? Well, it seems the closest star is only 93 million miles away. God's ways are higher than our ways. God is sovereign over everything. God will always have the last word. Now, I know that rubs some of us the wrong way. But God will always have the last word. He is sovereign. And everyone who believes that's what the Bible teaches us said amen. amen. Good. A few weeks ago, we, we looked at what Paul told us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want to remind you of that because it's in the context. Remember, in this letter, when Paul wrote it, there weren't chapters and verses. So the whole letter is contextual. And so we need to keep the context in mind as we read through that. Verse 2 said this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to have the mind of the Lord. And that means my mind needs to be renewed by hearing the word of the Lord. And that will be counter to the thinking of the world that decided that we don't need God, that we're smarter than God, that we don't need God in the equation of our life. The Holy Spirit is telling us to live out the salvation Jesus purchased for us and that we have received by faith by renewing the way we think. And that will produce a transformed way of living. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs says. With those thoughts in mind, our lesson text for today, Romans 13, 1 says this, Let Every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's a servant of God, an avenger carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attend to do this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Going back to verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Government has been ordained by God. Government has been ordained by God. He said the authorities that are in place were instituted by God. There is no authority except from God. That means the highest places of authority to the lowest places. Authority has been instituted by God. God is pro-government. And you say, well, what government is God for? He's not for any form. But he is for the fact, because of the fallen nature of mankind, as Adam's choice to disobey, mankind is in need of authorities who've been given the responsibility by God to letter A, to preserve order. To preserve order in a culture. They have been given the responsibility by God to protect citizens. To preserve order, to protect citizens. See, to promote righteousness. To promote righteousness. If you look at the book of Judges, you see what happens when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And if you don't want to look at the book of Judges, just look at the news clips from Portland, Oregon for the past three years. When they believe that the government should not tell us what to do, defund the police department, and they come and they just ransack everything, destroy property, destroy lives, because they rebel against the authority that God has put in place. Here's what Paul wants them to understand. Number two, authorities are God's servants. <coughs> That's why the title of the message, God's servants, really? The government is a servant of God? Really? When you look at the governments around the globe, and we can name a few of them that we believe are absolutely. Paul said they're God's servants. Verse 3 said, Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and to receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. In other words, God gave government the authority to bring judgment upon disobedience, upon breaking the law. For he's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Remember last week we talked about don't take vengeance, let God take vengeance. And here God says, I have put people in places of authority to carry out my vengeance against lawbreakers. Now I realize in light of all the corruption we see in the realm of government all over the world, clear down to the fact that you may work for a boss that you think is an idiot, and he may be. It can be difficult for us to wrap our mind around what Paul is saying, that government is God-ordained, 
and those authorities are his servants. Paul must have been living in a really good time politically and economically, right? When he's writing this, Nero has just recently become the emperor of Rome. Nero was not a good Christian man. Nero even had his own mother executed, lest she would take his throne and take power from him. Had his own mother executed. Nero was perverted. I know that's not a politically correct word, but he would find effeminate-looking men and bring them into his palace and put them in women's clothing and carry on some kind of faux wedding so that he could have homosexual relations because he had this insatiable passion for homosexual activity with other men. Um, Nero eventually, you know, after he... You, in AD 64, Rome caught on fire and a major portion of the city burned down. And most historians believe Nero's the one who lit the fire. But he blamed it on the Christians so he could begin a wholesale persecution of Christians. Nero was the man who, who would bring Christians, tie them to a pole in his garden area where he had parties, light them on fire, and they would be the torches for the party at night, burn them alive. Nero was one of those who began feeding them to the lions and those kinds of things. In fact, most scholars believe that it was Nero that had Paul beheaded and Peter crucified. I just give you that setting to let you know what Paul is saying in the context of what's going on in, in his world. He wrote, All authority has been ordained by God. They are God's servants. They are God's servants to do us good, or they're God's servants to bring us judgment. They are God's servants to do us good, or they're God's servants to bring us judgment. God's not a Democrat or Republican. He's not a socialist or Marxist. Did you know that God's not even American? He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth. He's the king of all kings. And his ultimate purpose is for his kingdom. His ultimate purpose is that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God in his sovereignty is moving history forward to reveal himself. Now I was tempted to go through the Old Testament narration and show you time after time how God raised up a king to punish the Israelites for their disobedience. And then he would raise up an Israelite king to punish those people for punishing them and it goes round and round in the circle but God is always moving history forward by his sovereignty 
to one day restore everything that Satan has destroyed with his sin and deception. In the course of move, he's in the course of moving the revelation of who he is forward always. Look at what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He said, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over this creation. And he's sovereign over the people who live on this creation. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. In chapter 5 of Daniel, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, he's in the midst of a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he has told them to, I want you to bring in the silver and gold goblets that my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar brought from the temple in Jerusalem when the Babylonians overran Jerusalem and brought all those people captive. And they began to drink wine out of the goblets that had been set aside for worship inside of the temple for the priests to use in the worship. And uh, he's feeling really good, got a great buzz on, when suddenly he sees a hand. No arm, just a hand, writing on the wall. He sobered up real fast, says he was so terrified that his knees began to smoke together. He called all of his wise men to come and read it. What does that say? What does this mean? None of them can read it because it was an Aramaic, and they did not know the language. His mother or his grandmother, I haven't figured out exactly which it was yet, says there's a man in this nation, been here for a long time now. God speaks to him and he brings him in. And in verse 18 of chapter 5, and I didn't have room, I had to delete it out of your notes because I didn't want to put a third page uh, or another page. O king... The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Who gave Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom? God did. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Verse 21 says, He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of the heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of mankind and sets over it whom he will. 
The Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. If you open your Bibles and read the rest of that chapter, Daniel begins to tell Belshazzar, because you did not learn from Nebuchadnezzar and humble yourself before God, because you chose to worship the make-believe gods of gold and silver by putting wine in those cups that came from the temple in Jerusalem. Your days, well, here's what it says. You've been weighed in the balances, and you've been found wanting. And Daniel says to him, this night the kingdom will be taken from you. While that party was going on, the Medes and the Persians had stopped the water flow to the aqueduct underneath the walls. They snuck into the city and they came in and they overthrew the great Babylonian empire. Just like that. Because God, the Most High, rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. To continue making my point, I would like you to take the next hour and just go through the history. But let's look at you. In the book of Isaiah... That day was prophesied that, in fact, in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, Isaiah said, Babylon is going to fall to my Redeemer, whose name is Cyrus. Cyrus is going to come, and he's going to, to, to be the one who, who brings judgment on Babylon. Now, let me tell you this. Isaiah wrote, he probably wrote that chapter about 712 B.C. Babylon was not yet an empire. Cyrus had never been born. In fact, it was not till 539 B.C. that they came, the Medes and the Persians established their empire. God told Isaiah in 700 B.C. that in 539 B.C. there's going to be a man named... Now, how did Cyrus's mother know to name him Cyrus? God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Government at all levels has been ordained of God. Authorities are the servants of God, whether they realize it or not, either to bring the blessing of the Lord or to bring the judgment of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord, the vengeance of the Lord. Number three, in your notes, as Christ followers, we cooperate with authorities whenever possible. As Christ followers, we are to cooperate with authorities whenever possible. Verse one said, let Every person be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject. In the NIV, it gives us the swear word. Submit. A word that goes against our grain. Submit to the governing authorities. The Greek word for submit or be subject is a compound word for under and the word for arrange or align. 
align yourself under. Be subject means I put myself under the authority of someone who has position over me. It's a word we do not like, but it is a word you cannot get away from as a follower of Jesus Christ. Submission. You can't even be a follower of Jesus Christ without submitting. I must confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean, Lord? That means he's the boss. He's the CEO. He's the one who's in charge. I have submitted my life. I've committed my life to follow whatever he says. My Lord. He's my leader. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Submission. Paul tells us in Ephesians, we are to submit to one another. Submit to one another. Then he goes on in the next verse, and he says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. And husbands, submit to the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and give your life for your wife. Does it say that? Yeah, he said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he literally died for the church. Children, obey your parents as we get to chapter 6. Submit to your parents, to their authority. He talks about about bosses and, and, and employees. Submission. Submission is a part of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Everyone, he said, is to submit to the authorities. In case you think Paul is a lone ranger in this theology and we can just chuck it aside, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he chimes in as well. Be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or supreme or to the governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject. Submit. Do not miss these words and so that you won't. I made it one of the notes. Do this for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. I know that there are people who have been placed in positions of authority who in and of themselves are not worthy of respect. But please do not forget what Peter said, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. For whatever reason, God has placed those people in authority there as his servants. I learned early in my life, I think it's because my dad told me that the Bible said, when I go to work on a job, I will have a boss, but ultimately I work for the boss that's way above him or her. No matter where I go, Dad taught me, work unto the Lord. Work to please the Lord. Work to bring honor to the Lord. Christians ought to be the best employees only got two amens. 
Because we work for the Lord. We work for the Lord's sake. That boss will ultimately answer to the Lord. My job is to submit as far as possible. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God. You might want to underline that. This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put silence to the ignorance of foolish people. Mark it in your brain. Mark it in your Bible. It's the will of God to be in submission to every human institution so that your good behavior will silence those people who want to throw mud all over you. Talk about you rabble-rousers who want to stir up trouble because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, Live as people are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Living as servants... Submit to the authorities that have been put in place, instituted by God, because ultimately I am serving God who reigns over them and above them. Our calling is to live as servants of God, as, submission, as servants are in submission to their master. And our master says to submit to the authorities he's put in place. Verse 17 of 1 Peter says this, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the emperor. Oh, he lived at the same time. Nero was a... Honor the position that God has placed. This is the will of God. Going back to Romans 13. To resist authority is to resist God. I didn't make that up. Paul wrote it under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Let every person be subject to the governor authorities. There's no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, who resist the authority, resist what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. Those who resist will incur judgment. When I read those words, I'm reminded of the verse that I quoted over and over and over to my children. It's the words of Moses to the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben. Um, when they're getting ready to go and settle, finally go across the Jordan River. These two tribes, they have found great pastures in Gilead for their sheep and their cattle and whatever flocks and herds they have. And they said, we just want to stay on this side of, of the river. We just want to settle right here. And he gets all over them. You're just like your fathers at Kadesh Barnea. You don't want to obey God. You're going to stay here. And they feel guilty. And they say, all right, all of us who are ready for battle and, and, and battery, battle worthy, we're going to put on our armor. We'll go across and we will fight until the land is taken. Then we will come home. First, we're going to build shelters for our families. But we will go and we will fight. And then we'll return to our families, flocks, and herds. And Moses said this in Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you've sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin 
will find you out. <coughs> That's the part I quoted to my kids. Be sure your sins will find you out. And more, I don't know how many times the Lord revealed to me and it takes them a long time to learn. But we're kind of like that, aren't we? Submit to the authorities. God's mandate to us is submit to human authorities up to a point. Just some of you, in case some of you are getting mad at me and saying this is not possible. We're going to look at the whole scripture. There, there's some who read this in Romans 13 and use it to teach us that Christians should be the ultimate pacifist. But that's not correctly dividing the whole truth of the word. The, these passages from Romans and 1 Peter are not the only passages that deal with how we interact with who God placed in authority. Realizing that even though that God placed them there and is using them for divine purposes, they are humans and they have flaws. Jesus had an encounter one day with a most unlikely group of people regarding submission to the powers that be. It was during that week after he had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And uh, the Pharisees were doing everything they could to figure out a way to have Jesus executed. And uh, there was this different sect inside of the Jewish culture. And there was a group of people who were not religious at all, but they were Jews, and they were called Herodians. The Herodians were a political group that, that believed that, that being in submission to, to Rome was a great thing, and paying taxes to Caesar was a wonderful privilege, and that everybody ought to just embrace that fact that, that we're living in a Roman Empire, and, and Caesar's our emperor. The Pharisees did not want to pay taxes to Caesar. They did not want to be under the thumb of Caesar. They were totally against that. However, Jesus had a way of even uniting his enemies against him. And the Pharisees went to the Herodians and said, Listen, we figured out a way to trap Jesus in a way that he cannot get out of this trap. And so they went to Jesus together and they said... Uh, Tell us, good teacher. They flattered him and told him, you know, all these flowery words about who he was and what he did. And, and he said, tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, if he says yes, the Pharisees would brand him as unpatriotic to the Jewish culture and his ministry would be discredited. If he says no, he'd be branded by a traitor to the empire by the Herodians. He can't win. He can't say yes or no because one of these people, Jesus called them out and he said, you hypocrites. Literally, he called them, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me the coin that you pay your taxes with. And they said they brought him a denarius. He said, whose likeness and inscription is on this coin? Verse 21 says this in Matthew 22. They said, Caesar's. 
Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The next verse says, They marveled at what he said, and they went away. What I want you to see is this sentence right here validates human government and at the same time sets its limits. When he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, it validates human government and at the same time it sets its limits. Whatever bears the image of Caesar, give back to him. But you bear the image of God. Every Jew knew that they were created in the image of God. Your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit, they belong to God. And because that's so, there are times when human authorities are going to say things and it will be our duty to disobey them. We are to resist human authority when we are told to violate a command of God. We are to resist human authority when we are told to violate a command of God. Paul and Peter both wrote, we're to be a submission to authority for the sake of Christ, right up to the point where they contradict the clear mandate. Then we respectfully decline. In Acts 4 and 5, we read the apostles were arrested by the Sadducees because they were jealous of the crowds that the apostles were gathering together by preaching Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, the members of the Sanhedrin, the council, they commanded the Jew, they commanded the do not preach in the name of Jesus again. Well, they went out rejoicing, we got persecuted, and they preached Jesus. In chapter 5, they're, they're brought in again. And they put in jail. In the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord comes and opens up the jail and says, Go back, get out. And when the temple guard is sent to get them, and the report is, they're gone. Go find them and bring them here now. In verse 28 of chapter 5, they brought them before them. They're standing before the Sanhedrin. The, 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 the high priest says this, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. They were instructed once again by being beaten, do not preach in the name of Jesus. And don't talk about the crucifixion that we did. But they went away rejoicing, were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. When laws are enacted which contradicts God's law, Civil disobedience becomes a Christian duty. When laws are enacted which contradicts God's law, civil disobedience becomes a Christian duty. Consider the story of the Israelite women in Goshen in the days of Moses. In fact, Moses hadn't been born yet, or he's about to be born. Pharaoh said to the midwives, 
who helped the Israelites. There's a couple of them, they were midwives, and, and they went everywhere and helped women give birth. And he was trying to stop the, the population growth of what might be potential soldiers to take out his kingdom. She so said, when a, a baby boy is born, kill him. Kill him. You think live abortion just started in our time. Pharaoh started it. Kill him. The, but verse 17 in Exodus 1 said, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. They did not obey this authority because it was against God's will, God's word, God's commands. And Moses was born, put in the basket, becomes... Didn't God have a great sense of humor? And Moses, for 40 years, is in Pharaoh's household. And then Moses comes back another 40 years later and delivers the people. Daniel 3, we read the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He, he has an image that he's built that's 90 feet tall. And then the appointed day, he gathers all the leaders from all the, the Babylonian Empire. And at the sound of the band, they're to bow down and to worship the statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego did not bow. Because God has set down a law, you shall not make any graven images. You shall not worship any other gods, but the God alone. You shall not bow down. So the music played, they stood tall, we will not bow. And you know the story, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. That was the threat. But God delivered them from the fiery furnace. Later on in the book of Daniel chapter 6, Darius, the king of the Medes, is, is, is duped by some of his people who are jealous of Daniel. And they said, you need to make a law for 30 days, O king Darius, that nobody in the kingdom prays to anybody but you, king. Nobody asks anything of any other god but you, king. He signs the law. Did Daniel stop praying? Three times a day, he opened the windows of his apartment or his condominium towards Jerusalem. He prayed to the God of heaven, and they told on him. That was their plan from day one. He's thrown into the lion's den where he sleeps all night long. My point is, when a law is passed that contradicts the law of God, civil disobedience is the proper thing. But notice this. In each case of civil disobedience that we find in the Scripture, the purpose was to demonstrate their submission to God, not their defiance of the government. A difference in the attitude it was to demonstrate their submission to God, not their defiance of the government. It's biblically correct, even our duty to disobey laws made by men that contradict what God said in His Word. While God places humans in places of authority, He does not give them authority to override His commands. People placed in authority are there to serve God's purposes, to move His purposes along. As long as they do not command us to disobey God, we are to submit to their leadership. 
We are to resist human authority when we are asked to do an immoral act. An immoral act, and of course the first thing that comes to our mind when I say immoral is sexual sins, but sins of ethics, sins of integrity, like falsifying records for security purposes or perjury for the sake of the department, lying for others, whether it be your boss or your subordinates. We resist human authority when it violates our conscience. When it violates our conscience. I know men who were drafted back in the 1960s who did not feel it was right to take up arms and the, and the killing of other human beings. And they, they registered as conscientious objectors. Some of them ended up in the service, but they were given an assignment where they did not carry a weapon. They did not go to the front line. They served their country the best they could without going against their conscience that said, it's not my place to take another life. If I worked in the medical field, able to go against my conscience to work in an office that promoted and did abortions. If I worked in the entertainment industry, making TV shows or movies, it would go against my conscience to work for a company that promoted the LB what agenda. When I speak of my conscience, let me qualify it with these words. A conscience that which is informed by the Bible and is a submission to the Holy Spirit. A conscience that's informed by the Word of God. You see, if, you're just my, if my conscience is just my feelings, your feelings can be desperately wicked. My conscience needs to be trained by the Word of God and submission to the Holy Spirit. There's that word submission again. It keeps coming back. Look again at verses 3 through 6, Romans 13. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. There's a couple things I see woven in the text here. Number one, I can choose to live by fear. Fear that I'm going to get caught breaking the law. When I'm driving the speed limit, I'm at great peace. When the police car drives by, have a great day, officer. However, in those times that I feel like I need to hurry, and I'm going more than the sign says, now there's this keen awareness. Is that a police car? Is that a cop? When I'm doing the wrong thing, I live in fear of the law. But when I'm doing the right thing, the law blesses me. 
That's what this text says. So, I can either choose to live in fear by not submission, or I can choose to live with integrity. I can choose to live with integrity. Living in submission to the authorities is in matters that do not oppose the law of God. There may be things I don't agree with, things I don't like. I don't like the 25-mile-an-hour speed limit down 38th Avenue, down Nichols Boulevard, but it's the law. It's not a moral issue. So we submit. Paul tells us, for the sake of conscience, be in subjection. For the sake of conscience and the good of the government, pay your taxes. He said, the Bible really says that? Yeah, it did, didn't it? Pay your taxes, because God, that's the way that God is funding these people. If they're taking too much taxes, they're going to answer to God. Hear about the guy who wrote the IRS and said, a few years ago, I cheated on my taxes, and my conscience has been troubling me. So I have enclosed a check for $50. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. <laughs> conscience demands that we keep a clear record with God, for God's sake. Conscience demands that I live with integrity. Verse 7 says this, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. In other words, pay your bills. Respect to whom rec- respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Sometimes it's a matter of the position, not the person. That honor is due, respect is due. Two things. We fulfill our obligations to authority with a good attitude. We fulfill our obligations to authority with a good attitude. The late Ray Stedmans said, I remember the first time I had to pay an income tax a few years ago. My income had been so low for a long time I didn't have to pay taxes. He's a preacher. But gradually it caught up and I finally had to pay. I can remember how I resented it. I really did. In fact, when I sent my tax form in, I addressed it to the Infernal Revenue Service. They never answered, but they did cash my check. The next year, I improved my attitude a bit. I addressed it to the Eternal Revenue Service. But I've repented for all those sins. Now I hope to pay my taxes cheerfully. The largest amount I've had to pay is due this year, but I want to send it off with thanksgiving to God for the government we we have, bad as it is in many ways. Secondly, we have the responsibility to pray for our leaders. We have the responsibility to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2.1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. Regardless of your political views, Regardless of what party is in power, our responsibility is the same. Pray for our leaders. Pray that they would somehow receive wisdom for the choices that they make. Godly wisdom. Pray that they would be people of character and integrity. People who are trustworthy. And pray that they would faithfully serve the people of this great nation. I could go off on a tangent, 
about this is a democratic republic and really if they got the if they understood what they're supposed to do listen to us instead of tell us what to do that's a whole nother sermon but they need to know that God placed them there to serve the people and we need to keep that prayer going I'm going to wind this up by backtracking just a little bit. I said earlier the Christian life is all about submission. While God has told us to be subject to the government authorities he's put in place, the ultimate answer for our lives and for our nation, for you and me, is to be submitted totally to God through Jesus Christ. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let me define that, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Submit yourself to his wise ordering of your life. Submit yourself to his wise ordering of your life. When he speaks of the mighty hand of God, I think he's referring back to the days of Moses when he opened the Red Sea and, and did all his miracles and they traveled to the wilderness. Then he says, cast your anxieties, your worries, your frustrations on him, for he cares for you. Cast your cares, your anxieties on him. Well, I don't believe that God causes bad things to happen. I do believe he allows them to happen. Read Job chapter 1. Because most of us are not prone to do what Peter said, humble yourselves. That is not our natural bent. Peter learned the hard way. Remember, he's the one who said, Jesus, I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, you're going to deny me? No, 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 no. I'll never forsake you. You're going to deny me three times. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. But when you are restored, strengthen my brothers. And remember, after the third time that he denied Jesus Christ, they made eye contact, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. But then there's breakfast on the beach where Jesus restores him. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter understood it's better to humble yourself and let God exalt you than to be humbled. Some of you are going through some difficult times in your life that God has allowed so that you will come to the place where you submit yourself totally to Him, His wisdom and His power. And He's allowed that because He really cares for you. John 15.5 said this, Jesus speaking, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Do you know you're not your own? I know we all think, it's my life and I can do what I want with it. Paul said, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Peter said, you have been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Your body is not your own. The proper way to live 
It's to make Jesus Christ the Lord of every part of your life. We're going to stand and we're going to sing the old hymn, I Surrender All. And then we will close in a moment of prayer.